Okie dokie, folks. Welcome to the Roots Report podcast presented by Motif Magazine, sponsored by The Parlor, R1 Entertainment, and the Trinity Brewhouse Beer Garden. I am your host, John Fusick. Today we have Rhode Island Music Hall of Fame member and blues and jazz guitar master, Duke Robillard. Robillard is celebrating his latest CD, an 18-track recording titled They Called It Rhythm and Blues. Duke will be appearing at the Narrows in Fall River on March 25th. Unfortunately, due to the wonders of technology, there was a problem with the beginning of the interview with Duke. So we're just going to jump right into the conversation. I think I look at guitars like, you know, some guys look (laughs) at women or something. (laughs) I mean, you know, I keep one wife and several guitars. (laughs) Some guys are the other way around. So what was the brand of that finished guitar again that was a signature model? It's called... Qatar, K-A-T-A-R. And they're going to make a dozen of them. Yep. Do you know when they'll be available? Uh, I think I'm going to get mine. I'm going to get the first one. And I think that'll be probably within the next month or two. And so he's working on a few at a time. And so they're going to be like a, a... made to order kind of have to wait a while and uh and he, this guy is like he's a really incredible craftsman and he was a uh call it i guess apprentice to now i don't know this guy's name but the guy that made chris fashion played one for years uh, another finnish guitar uh flying finn guitars mm-hmm. And that guy is like the most uh, well-known guitar maker in Finland for for several decades. And this guy learned, he was an apprentice to to him. So his work is really extremely high quality, very, very high quality. Now, I mean, you've played in Finland, right? Yes, Finland was, uh, when I went out on my own uh, after Roomful and made my first solo album, a company in Finland actually started a record label to put out a few American artists' music, lease their masters and put it out, and I was one of them. I actually ended up being so big in Finland that I sold out every every show I did in, in Scandinavia for quite a few years. You play in Europe quite a bit, and yeah, I'm, I'm wondering... Now that there's this upheaval in the in Russia and the UK, and, and I'm wondering how this is going to affect any kind of touring for artists with the, the higher price of transportation, the unrest in, in the world. I'm wondering if it's going to be affecting your touring at all, because I think I would be a little bit apprehensive about going anywhere at this point, because you know how things kind of spread once they get going in one place, they kind of spread and... It's kind of a one-two yes. punch after COVID, but it's you know. Yes, uh, in fact, I toured. I toured uh, Sweden right after Chernobyl, and the the first place I played was the town where they discovered the radiation from Chernobyl. Oh, great! <laughs> <laughs> but it, it it didn't affect me. I don't know about anybody else that lived there, but uh, yeah, well, it will affect because COVID's not even over over there. No, it's, I mean, it's things are. It's opening up in a lot of a lot of countries, but it's not over there. And you just yeah. got over COVID, didn't you? Yes, I did. That's yeah. you know, that's horrible that you wound up. You both got it. You and your wife got it, didn't you? 
Yeah, I managed to stay away from it for two years, and we just really barely, hardly ever went out, you know. But we went out to one show, and someone, one of the musicians that were playing had it, and he didn't tell anybody. And Wonderful. Uh, there tons of people that night got it. Ugh. So uh, that's horrible. Yeah, it 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 is. You, it, <laughs> we were so mad that we went out after not going out for so long. Oh no, yeah. I can understand because I've kind of been. I was the same way. I was, you know, isolated for a long time. You know, I've been going out, but still, I'm still careful when I go out because I'm, you know, you read about the long term COVID and all these other people. I I have friends who've had COVID and I still have brain fog, and I'm like, I have enough brain fog in my life as is. Yeah, I have a niece that's had it for months now and is, uh, has had COVID for months, and she, she has absolutely no energy. She can't work. She can't do anything. Uh, so it is. it can be very serious. I lucked out. We, we get over it. It was like a bad flu, and we get over it in a couple of weeks and don't seem to have any lingering uh, repercussions. But Well, that's a good thing because, uh, no, I mean, Especially when you get older, you, I mean, you, you have enough problems as you get older, you don't want any more, uh, you know. Yeah, that's for sure. So, uh, I mean, you were mentioning you having, you know, physical issues. Uh, how do you keep your dexterity up? Because, I mean, I'm, at, I'm 60, I'm going to be 61, and I'm starting to have hand issues from playing for, you know, almost 50 years. And, yeah. you know, it starts to get to you. I mean, do you do stuff to keep your dexterity up and to keep your your fingers, you know, well, I do have exercises that, you know, I've had to go through, through therapy. Uh, I've had, uh, I've got, you know, arthritic, uh, you know, kind of growths, you know, in my knuckles and stuff. I've, I have to get uh, cortisone shots maybe a couple of times a year um, for my hands. But, you know, uh, they really help me. Some people they don't, some people they do. But uh, and they seem to last like a half a year. So uh, I've been going with that, you know, and, you know, I just I mean, I can't do half of what I used to do. Can't play as anywhere near as fast as I used to, but I can play very musical still. So that's what matters. You know? Well, as long as you can still make music that you're happy with, that's that's what counts. Oh, yeah, I that, that that's it for me. I mean, at times I'm frustrated, but I. Uh, Compared to the, the joy it brings me, I'd say I'm, I'm still doing pretty good. So one of the things I noticed that you do is you actually paint guitars. You create guitars and you paint them and sell them. I, I do. Well, I've, I've sold a few. I've done a few. Uh, most of the ones that I've sold have been commissions, you know, where somebody wanted somebody wanted a Beatle guitar with, you know, like a yellow submarine kind of theme. And so I did that, and, uh, and then I did a I, I did a blues one for for someone with blues heroes pictures on it, and then abstract painting around it, and that kind of thing. And I do I do it for myself. I, this one I'm working on now. I'm just part way through. Yeah, I don't know why I started doing that. Um, <laughs> maybe my brother my brother does it too. Uh, and he's a, you know, he's a real painter. I mean, he's, uh, he paints very realistic, uh, well, you, you paint as well. I do. 
I mean, I've but, seen your paintings uh, online. You, you you post your paintings quite often. I do. I uh, I started, well, I've fooled around with it through the years a bit. But when my rotator cuff let go, I couldn't play guitar for a year and a half. Wow. So I started painting daily because I was so frustrated. And, and I, so I started painting abstract. In fact, uh, my paintings and some of my photography is going to actually be showing while I'm at Narrows. Oh, cool. I, di I didn't know you did photography either. Yeah, I for, uh, for about 10 years, I was really into it. And I used vintage cameras from the, the 20s through the, the 60s. And yeah, old Rolleiflex cameras and Leicas and things like that. And I really enjoyed using the vintage equipment and doing it. It was not a fast process at all, but I really enjoyed doing it. And once digital photography kind of took over and it became hard to, to you know, find a film you want or find the paper you want to print on and. I don't know. Things just got different, and I, I just lost interest in it. Well, I went I mean, through the I same thing. I, I mean, I, I yeah. went to college. I have a degree in photography and used to oh. used to be a photographer as well as a musician. And, uh, you know, I was invested in all this camera equipment, and then digital photography came along. And then just like that, overnight, it was like, yep, everybody's switching to digital, and then film was outdated, and everything I had was worthless. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it took me a long time to get back into. I just recently got back into photography, and you know, it's it's a whole different animal. It's like using a computer now. It's most most of the things that I used, other than composition, it's you know, it's technical now. Old cameras had shutter speed and aperture, and that's pretty. You know, that was it. Now you have menus. Yeah, yeah. digitally disabled. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I just, I, I don't know, my, I, my wife has to do everything on computers for me because I, I just, I can't, I can do stuff, but I, I get, uh, I just get too frustrated. No, it's know, understanding it. And then they keep changing everything, even on phones, oh, they just keep changing everything. Don't even get me started with that. <laughs> so it, uh, I, you know, I'm old school all the way on everything yeah no i am recording too. stuff well you you uh you actually well i don't know if you still do but you were collecting 78s oh yeah you still oh, do yeah. that oh i do <laughs> is this a bad habit well it would be a bad habit if i could find them easier <laughs> you know because it's it's not exactly a an easy thing to i mean you can find 78s but to find something that you actually want I mean, there were millions and millions and millions of records made from the 20s on, you mm. know, so. But I, I probably have about 7,000 is my estimate. I don't know. I don't know if it's correct or not. I could have more than that. No wonder you don't have room for guitars. <laughs> I don't have room for anything anymore. In my, you know, because all the stuff stays mostly down in my basement, most of it. And... Uh, I shouldn't say that. My vinyl records, half of them stay upstairs. <laughs> My basement, yeah, I don't know. I have too much of everything, you know. And, well, you, is this where you locate some of the material you record? You find stuff, old recordings, and then... Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely any of the material I've been influenced by, you know, through the years have all come off 78s or vinyl or 45s. What, what's your favorite era? to uh to try to emulate well 
it depends what kind of music you're talking about. I've been going through this thing for about the last years, maybe. Of I really like the earliest, early, like early jazz, uh, almost pre-jazz, uh, and like early dance bands, early early jazz, uh, just all kinds of music that was recorded in the late teens and twenties uh, and thirties. I'd say about 1917 to about 1937 uh, in that area. That uh, That's about my favorite musical era right now. But it depends on what, you know, because music for me, I, I, I get on kicks. I don't play all of this music as far as myself, but I, I play it on my radio show. I have a radio show and I play, you know, the everything is from a 78 whether it's whether it's got a lot of you know snaps and crackles and pops it doesn't matter i i just actually play these 78s on the radio where is this radio show i, I didn't know you had a radio it's show. wicn in in worcester oh okay and, I, uh, I know that station and then you know it's also streamed worldwide so every show you can log on to uh, WICN.org and find my shows and they stay on there for two weeks each each one. Now do you go to the on. station to do this or you do them from home? No, I do it from home because you know the uh, the 78s are heavy and uh, and they're all from 78 so basically the show is from 1917 or so to about 1959 or 60 when they stopped making 78s. I remember that radio station, Marianne Rossoni and I performed, did a couple of live shows from that station, and it was kind of funny because there was no heat, and there were like rats running around. Oh, really? <laughs> this was like 30, year, 30 years ago, and, and then yeah, they were telling us it, about some tapes of Dylan that they had when he played there, that they didn't know where they were and hoped that the rats hadn't eaten them. <laughs> I mean, this was oh, 30 God. years ago. I'm sure they've upgraded oh, yeah. since then. Oh, no, for, the, for sure they have. Um, I'm sure you have lots of stories of playing in some bizarre places. Oh, I've played a lot of weird places, for sure. What's What's the weirdest place that you've played? Oh, geez. You know, I've played... Uh, one of the weirdest places I've played, and I'm trying to remember if it was if it was like a bomb shelter or a, or an airplane hangar or something in, in France... But it had the worst acoustics in the absolutely in the world. But just hundreds of people went there. It was out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, that was a, a strange one. I, I played just I, I I'd have to sit and think about it for a long time. But uh, I might have some of that stuff. I'm working on a book, and I've I, I got to get back to it. I've been off. I haven't been working on it for a while. But uh, I've got lots of you know tales of. All kinds of gigs all over the world. Now, have you played in every country at this point? Oh no, no. I mean, I played in a lot of countries. I, I, you know, I played in all the European countries just about. And you know, uh, I mean, I've played, you know, Germany, France, Belgium, Holland, England, uh, Germany, uh, Slovakia, uh, Luxembourg. You know, uh, the all the. Uh, I played in Russia. I played in Hong Kong. I played in Australia. I played in 
haven't I, oh, I I haven't played in Japan. That's one place I haven't played that I I really want to, but I don't know if it'll ever happen at this point. I thought I, I'm sure you could do that because they love music and they love they they latch onto people over there and you, you know I've run into a few Japanese people or promoters that tried to get me over there and something always fell through. I I don't know why, but uh, so I'm not really thinking at my age they're gonna. They're going to get me over there now, but you never know. That's an interesting... I mean, I went to Japan about 35 years ago. It's a it's a very interesting place. It's, it's culture shock. I mean, one of the things that, especially after having gone through COVID, is that when I went there, people were wearing masks when they were sick, and that was not an unusual thing to, for them to do. And I thought it was strange, but, you know, it was a very polite thing that you do, is if you were sick, you wore a mask. And... And, you know, I uh, I've seen uh, Asian people like way before COVID doing that on planes. Right. Right. Uh, you know, because uh, I have to fly a lot because of my job, you know, and I, and it seems like a Asian people just it's they r routinely do that, you know, pre COVID. But well, that's why when, you know, the mask mandates came down, I was like, it makes sense. I mean, they've been doing yeah. it for years. I mean, I'm sorry that they've they've stopped it. Actually, I I don't think it's that safe, you know. No, but, I I don't, but I don't know. I still wear a mask when I go out. Most, yeah, it's it's probably a time. wise thing, especially after you've had it. I mean, you know what it's you don't want to get it again. <laughs> That's for sure. Once is enough. I mean, I already know. I know somebody's had it twice. It's just I, I can't even imagine it. It's just I don't know. Anyway. Um, yeah, I know people have said it twice. Yeah, I, I just I don't want to deal with it. I was looking at your list of albums, and it's huge. You have so many albums, and you've been on so many albums. It's. I was going to ask you what was your favorite album, but that would be like picking your favorite child, I think, at this point, because it's it would be so hard to decide. Yeah, I, I, I the ones that are the jazzier ones tend to be my favorites. Uh, then uh, swing and after hour swing session. Then there's another one called uh, what's uh, what's the name of that? Swing in session. And this this album and Duke's Blues. Those there's probably like oh, and then I have two with Herb Ellis too. So I just I have probably about ten albums that I really consider my my favorites. But you know that changes also week to week <laughs> depends you know sometimes i listen back to something that's got more of a rock influence to it and i go wow that was good and people really like those records and sometimes i like them and some, sometimes i don't you know it's uh, i guess i'm kind of moody as far as music especially my own when it comes to listening to it i think we all are i mean i think we all go through oh, yeah. periods of things except you tend to be more fussy about guitars <laughs> i tend to lock onto one and just play that one for long because oh, i play acoustic i play acoustic so i kind of think yeah gets the feel but um and what what do you play what guitar what's the, the model and brand you play i i actually have a little uh blues king uh double o that's the best one oh. to play Oh, you mean an L double O? Yeah. 
Wow, do you have an old one? No, no, it's a new one. I wish I had an old ah. one. I don't. None, nothing okay. I have is vintage. It's. I would like a vintage guitar with all the. I'd like something that has all that history in it, but I, I just don't have the the budget. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I've I've owned every just about every desirable electric and many many acoustics that were very desirable and vintage, but they've gone up so much in money now. The, the prices are so ridiculous. I, I don't think I'll ever own one again. Well, I, I don't think it's players that are driving the price up. It's collectors. It's, oh, of course. It's yeah. They drive the price up to, you know, because, and, you know, they get these guitars and they put them in a glass case and that's where they stay. They're not played. And, you know, they're just an investment. They're not, they're not meant for music making, which is a drag because these guitars these old guitars have amazing sounds, which these collectors are not allowing them to, to make anymore. Yeah, uh, George Gruen's, uh, he, he was the guy responsible for that, making uh, guitars antiques and driving the prices up. He, he started that trend and it just it got so far out of hand. That's the guy in Nashville, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've been to that store. Yeah, it's a it's a drag. Yeah. I mean, even even some of the newer electrics. I mean, I you know a lot of these newer signature models, they're they're crazy prices. I just I don't know, <laughs> everything everything's crazy nowadays. So it's hard to put it into perspective. But I mean, musicians don't make a lot of money, and you know it it's the tools of the trade are the guitars. And when you want a guitar that's going to make a certain sound and you can't afford it, but some rich guy who's going to just hang it on his wall can afford it, <laughs> that's sad. So. It is really sad. It's mostly doctors and lawyers that uh, that end up with those guitars now, or actors. Richard Gere's a big collector. Really? Several of those guys are big collectors. Well, two of the people I talked to recently, uh, Rick Nielsen from Cheap Trick and Joe Bonamassa, they had four fifty plus guitars each, and wow. they yeah, they had quite. I, Rick Nielsen was more of a warehouse person, but Joe Bonamassa was more of they're just hanging around the house. Yeah, I, I know you've done a lot of collaborations, uh, a lot of the collaborations like Kim Wilson on the uh, on this new album, and a lot of the folks that you did on this new album. But in all the collaborations that you've done, who was the most memorable or the, or the favorite person that you've played with? I mean, I saw you play with Stevie Ray at Rick that day. You played in the cafeteria. Oh yeah. At, at Rhode yeah. Island College back in the mid '80s, and I, I saw that show. And at the end of the night, you and you and Stevie Ray sitting on the end of the stage jamming. Um, <laughs> that was a memorable night seeing that. But I mean, oh yeah, I'm sure that was a favorite of yours. But I mean, who else besides that? Well, the you know the real old guys that I learned from. I mean, that's Big Joe Turner, Eddie Cleanhead Vincent. One of my real favorites is uh, Jay McShann. Uh, the Kansas City jazz and blues pianist. Uh, he he was just one of my favorite musicians and favorite people. Just a great guy, and I got to produce three albums for him and play on them. And so he and Jimmy Witherspoon is another one, another one of my favorite singers. And I didn't think I'd ever meet him, and I ended up producing and playing with him, and he loved my playing. So. That was like a great experience. And plus, you know, just backing up people live, I've got to play with Muddy several times, Muddy Waters. Yeah, I'm, I'm, that, I'm so like, that. he's of all the people I've met, I've met and talked to a lot of people over my life. And he's one of the people that I am so glad that I met when I was, I met him when I was like 15 years old. And 
he was a total gentleman and he was so nice and it was just it was one of the memories of meeting him he's a friggin legend and just meeting somebody like that is just amazing for me oh absolutely <laughs> it was amazing for me because you know he he got me on i'd say he had to be talked in to let me on stage this is in the kind of the early 70s and uh by dick waterman uh, who was bonnie Raitt's manager he was Broomfield's manager back then also and uh he talked muddy and uh having me sit in and when i sat in muddy went crazy and he was in boston at uh paul's mall for a week and i went back every night and he got me on stage as soon as he saw me every wow. night so it was like you know it was quite the experience yes that's that's very cool you probably don't want to talk about it but you've had your dylan experience and and you know that's that was i'm sure interesting it was interesting you know it i played with him for the the first tour we did which was i forget how long it was but it was pretty long and you know every night got better and it was just fabulous and he was really happy and then we took a break and you know we had like maybe three weeks or a month off and when we came back next all of a sudden he didn't like the way i was playing but i didn't change anything <laughs> oh he's a mercurial guy yeah you know he was just in some kind of mood and some attitude about me and it it, it was it got really pretty intense you yeah. know and so I just, you know, I just had to leave. It just, you know, I'm 65. I was 65 at the time. I'm thinking I'm 65 and this guy's swearing at me and really? yelling this weird stuff on stage at me. And like, what the, you know, like just a month ago, he was patting me on the back, telling me how great I was doing. And I, I wasn't doing anything different, you know, yeah. like. How the hell does that happen? I, I just didn't understand. I just, I couldn't take it. And it, <laughs> well, I actually, in my book, I have a section devoted to him, playing sure, what it was like. I'm sure that's an it. interesting section. <laughs> and the most, most of it revolves around the last four days I spent with him, which were the craziest four days of my life. <laughs> and the, the, the things that he did and said and told me and had people tell me, uh, I mean, it, insanity, just like in, <laughs> insanity. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, that's, I'm sure. I, well, well, you know, I'm glad I did it. Oh, know, I'm sure. I'm sure. It's... I, it was, a, it was a great experience until it wasn't. And luckily <laughs> it was that it was only four days. Yeah. You know, four. I only could take four days of it right. and that was it. Just had to go. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, you want to loop back around to the CD again? And uh, did you? I wasn't able to read the credits in the CD. Are these all um, songs that you've picked up from others, or did you write any of these songs? I wrote. There's one that's more like a blues rock song, kind of a Memphis kind of groove called "Out of Here." Yes, and it's that's the one with the background vocals, uh, the female background vocals. That one is mine, and that last instrumental is mine. Swinging and, for uh, four bills. Swinging for four bills, yeah. <laughs> and uh, the rest of them are classic R&B tunes, either ones that I knew for years or new ones that I had recently discovered. You know, I just wanted the record to be pretty much 
classic, you know, all the styles of R&B that uh, that I played of that early jump kind of R&B stuff and and kind of it just be, you know, like a really good band. But anyway, uh, you know, I wanted it to be a, a, a good example of my band because my guys have been with me for a long time and you know, we, we can play any style of blues the way it's supposed to be played. In other words, the traditional way. I mean, we can play it other ways too. But but I'm I'm pretty much I like to keep the traditional style of the way this music sounded going. You know, so that's part of what that album is about. But but you know, it was part of the it was the label's idea to have some guests on it. So. I said, oh, you want guests? I'll get guests. And, you know, I came up with a lot of people and I had quite a few more that I was thinking of asking. But I started off with the people that are friends of mine that I've known or played with, you know, because I knew that would work. Be, there was no doubt that that would work. Great. Right. What, what do you notice between playing in Europe and playing in the States as far as audience? What do you notice the difference? Well, you know, whenever you're from another country and you go to a a new country then you're always exotic so but the people in europe do really know a lot about they've really followed blues for a long time so um they you know they really uh appreciate it they appreciate blues in some sense better than american audiences well they think it's more special because it's from here and so I think, you know, people in America, your general public take it for granted. Mm. I mean, it's the people that are fanatics about it. And of course, they love it. But but, the you know, the general public, you know, like even the Grammys, you know, like they, you know, they brought it down to just like one category. And then they, I think, opened it up to two categories. But, you know, it used, it used to be a, quite a few different aspects of blues but now this it's lucky this one one category left but now i think this at least contemporary and traditional those have to remain but for a while i don't even think they did both of those it's just one category and even when they do do it it's one of those backroom ceremonies yeah yeah i mean it's funny i've been twice now because i was nominated for two so i've been to the grammy awards twice and it you know, it's fun, but I'll tell you the nighttime, you know, pop music part of it is bizarre. I mean, I saw some bizarre performances and pink flying over my head <laughs> on a, I, you know, like on a, what do you, what do you, be, Didn't no, you use what, a trapeze? Acrobatic, yeah, like a trapeze, you know, and somehow they were like spilling, dropping water on us. So you're sitting there again. It's only, it's like she's, flying over you and pissing on you you know it's like what is this i mean I, people i know left you know like just said you know i'm getting out of here well, i found it amusing in the sense that like i can't believe this is really a music award show and this is what they're doing you know like, yeah i don't even watch stuff. it anymore because it's it's just i most of the music that's nominated now i don't even know and and when I hear it, I'm like, yeah, I'm glad I don't know it because it's not even something I'm interested in anymore. Yeah. That's that's one of the joys of getting old. You get crotchety and you just don't give a shit. Well, you know, I had good taste when I was a kid, you know. And well, you must have because I, I, you, you went right. I mean, you were young when I started, you know, Roomful. 
I mean, that's not yeah. something a kid at that age normally would get into. I mean, at that yeah. era, it was rock. I mean, so for you to go to blues that early in and, age. Well, and, you know, I like rock music, too. There's certain acts that I love and, and liked then and would listen to, you know. I decided where my heart was early. You know, the thing is, as I get older, it's not like I don't like, you know, rock music i just don't like what they're doing with it i just don't hear anything that that anybody's gonna want to hear in a couple of years you yeah know, it's that's like, true you know it's like when you think about oldies you know they sound great but I, the stuff they're putting out now and especially that i mean i never really get to hear it i i hear little snippets on facebook of of stuff that is like i i couldn't even describe what it is <laughs> you mm. know like it's like the, the things that those girls do those those crazy reels too you know you know what i mean the they, have, they do little they they just do films of themselves right you know in the mirror <laughs> and mimicking some <laughs> stupid pop song you know like i like what is this what is this world come to well most of it's computer generated music it's just it's a drag and drop you know you're assembling you're not really creating you're assembling music yeah and yeah, I'm sure it is. Yeah. Oh, it is. I mean, you can hear it from the drum, the the tree, the pre-made beats, and there's no soul in it. I mean, when you play, you're you're playing with soul. You're playing. There's finesse to what you're doing, and and even if there is some kind of mistake in there, it's it's it works because it it's created. Yep. It's just, and you recover from it. It's just, you know, that's that's what well, music that's... is. Uh, Coleman Hawkins used to say, if you didn't make a mistake, you weren't trying hard enough. <laughs> True. There's a soul behind music, and it's lost now. I, I I find it lost now, and, you know, I don't think it's because I'm I'm older now. I just think it's because uh, it's just there's a, not a lot of creativity happening. And it's, but... Yeah, it's a whole different thing. It's, uh, it's, a, it's, it's all made to be marketable. It's not made to turn you on it's no. made to be marketable it, it's a product it's the coca-cola of music it's that's what it is it's coca-cola yeah. so what was the pivotal pivotal point that drove you to the blues when you were young because it's i mean i i can when in my music i know what the pivotal album was for me that turned me to from like being rock into a folk acoustic person i know that was the four-way street album from Crosby Stills Nash and Young that was my pivotal thing what was your pivotal moment for you to turn you onto the path that you went down musically well the one thing that made me realize and I was very young and I didn't even know for a few years after what blues was but when I heard the flip side of Maybelline Chuck Berry's uh in the wee wee hours it like just put a spell on me and I, I and and then he had this steel guitar instrumental called deep feeling those two songs they were slow blues and even at seven years old and eight years old when i heard them they just put me in some kind of a mood i just couldn't believe it was like a spell and wow. uh and and then later on i recognized that hearing that in some of the british bands music like you know the stones and the animals those two especially and hearing eric burden's voice and the way he interpreted some of that music you know and then i started then looking around for you know find who wrote these songs and then finding willie dixon and mckinley morganfield and you know uh howlin wolf and you know all of these people and so i 
it was a gradual thing because the music wasn't just out there to, to find. You had to go look for it. You know, it wasn't that easy to find the original guys, you know. So, uh, but Howlin' Wolf and Sonny Boy Williamson and Muddy Waters and, uh, you know, those uh, and Memphis Slim with Matt Guitar Murphy, those four artists uh you really kind of made me they blew my mind and it made me realize that this stuff was really deep and special along with you know jimmy witherspoon who had a jazz version of singing blues uh and that really hit me him and t-bone walker and that kind of thing so it was like you know i just kind of heard the first three or four guys and then i started looking for more and then i just realized this a whole world of this music, you know, yeah. that most people don't know about, you know. True. And then because of the Newport Folk Festival, I went and I got to see them all. I saw Sun House, I saw Mississippi John Hurd, I saw Howlin' Wolf, I saw Muddy Waters, uh, just so many of them, you know, it was just that. That was just the unbelievable thing. I, I should have gone a few years earlier, but I was, when I moved to Westerly from Boroughville, you know, I didn't know anything about this. And it, it was just, you know, the folk festival was just starting. So I missed first three or four years of it. So I I missed out on really a lot. I was a little on the young side to, to know about it and to go out and see that stuff. And I had to meet friends. when I, Once I moved to Westerly, they were music fanatics to kind of you know, say, oh, you got to come see this, you know. So once I finally did, that was it. I was hooked. I, I just, that just sparked a little thing that I read in your bio, is that you worked at the Guild Factory. Yeah. What did you do there? I uh, I did stuff like uh, I filed down frets. I glued on bridges. Those were the main things I did at first, and then they put me on inspection. I became like a final final adjustments department guy who you know put the strings on and put the the uh the saddle in the bridge and you know uh make sure the string action was correct and the neck neck was adjusted and and all that you know so i was like a and i ended up in the final adjustments how old were but you I when you were doing that probably 17 18 oh, okay. uh, right after high school okay i, I went i went right you know, I think I was, yeah, I was 17 or 18. Yeah, when you mentioned Westerly, that, that popped into my head after I read your bio. I was like, oh, I, yeah, I remember the Guild Factory down in Westerly, that big green building. It's too bad they're not made here anymore. But Yeah, yeah, that was too bad. Well, we probably should wrap around and get this up. And, we'll, you know, you're going to be at the Narrows on March 25th. And who's in the band again when you'll be playing at the Narrows? Well, uh, it's Mark Texera on drums, Bruce Bears on piano and organ, uh, Marty Ballou on bass, Doug James on tenor and baritone sax, Chris Cody on vocal and some guitar, myself on uh, guitar and some vocal. And then we're going to have Sugar Ray Norcia and Michelle Wilson as as guests because they're on the album so they'll be doing about four tunes each for that and that will be it so that you'll be playing a lot of stuff from the new album oh yeah we'll be doing you know i mean we'll be doing the tracks that 
the people that are guests and Chris sing, which is a, a, a lot of the album. Right. And then we'll be doing, you know, a few of my uh, old standards, a few of my tunes that people like that I do. And I guess that, that should be about it. All right. Well, do they, do they set it up for, I don't know if they do that at the Narrows, but I'm sure that people want to get up and move during these shows. Do they do that at the Narrows for these shows? I think there's an area kind of in the, in the back a little bit that you can stand up and dance if you want, but they usually make it more of a listening show. Okay. Uh, but I, I can't say for sure what they're going to do. I haven't talked to them about that aspect of it. But Well, I know the many times I've seen you, it's been in more of a dance capacity where people have been moving the whole night. I, yeah. just, I think it would be hard for people to just sit. I mean, I'm, I, I prefer listening audiences and I prefer listening, but there are the people out there that have to move when they hear the music. Yeah, they're, they're, I do have a... Uh, a good amount of people that like to dance to it. I, I imagine they'll just have that space in the back where, where they people usually go when they want to dance. Well, that's so good. It doesn't doesn't get in the way of the uh, visual of the people that are just in the seats. All right. Well, I uh, I want to thank you very much for taking very long time and talking to me for such a long conversation, and it was quite enjoyable. And um, no problem. I hope that your show at the Narrows goes well and. Uh, Hope that continue to feel better and don't get COVID again. And keep touring, <laughs> keep touring for many years to come because you're you're a Rhode Island legend, and we'd like to have you around for a long time. Well, thank you very much. All right. Well, take care, Duke. It's been nice chatting. All right, John. Take care. Same here. Bye bye. Thanks. Okie dokie. Thanks to Duke Robillard for being part of this episode of the Roots Report podcast. Check out Duke's website at dukerobillard.com. The Roots Report podcast is presented by Motif Magazine and sponsored by The Parlor, R1 Entertainment, and the Trinity Brewhouse Beer Garden. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.